Years ago, there was a pledge uh, that they did at VBSs um, that I would hide my word or God's word in my heart that I would not sin against him. And so in this, in quizzing, the kids are learning to memorize scripture, to hide it in their heart, that they may live holy lives for Christ. As we begin this morning, I have a, a little bit of an excerpt to share. And the question right at the beginning is, what's real anymore? Louis Grizzard was a Southerner with a capital S. So you say Southerner. He was also a humorous writer. In the last bust, Albuquerque, which is a collection of his columns, he reminds us of a question that we need to ask the church. And he tells this story, so I'm going to share it with you this morning. And he writes this. For weeks, I had been seeing a television commercial for this certain chain of restaurants. The commercial claimed the restaurant served home cooking, the kind mom used to do. Now, I grew up at a fried chicken, pork chops, pot roast, and fresh vegetable table with cornbread or mama's homemade biscuits on the side. I must have that sort of food at least once a week or be struck by the, the dreaded bland food poisoning that this culture has to offer. So I gave this chain a try. I walked into one of its restaurants and looked over the menu. There was no fried chicken and no pork chops. But there was country fried steak and pot roast, so I decided to go for the pot roast. Can I get mashed potatoes and gravy with the pot roast? I asked the waitress. Sure, she answered. I called the waitress back over. I would take it as a personal favor if you would be honest with me, I said. These mashed potatoes come out of a box, don't they? The waitress dropped her eyes for a brief second. Then she looked up and said apologetically, yes, yes, they did. I hate mashed potatoes that come out of a box. When God created the mashed potato, I am certain the Bible points out somewhere he had no intention of anybody goofing around and coming up with mashed potatoes from a box. He meant for real potatoes to be used. You peel them. You cut them into little pieces. You put them in a pot of boiling water. You put some salt and pepper in there. You add some butter and maybe even a little sour cream. And then you beat them and stir them, and you've got biblically correct mashed potatoes. So when I paid my bill, I did have a few words with the assistant manager, but he took my money anyway. May the Lord forgive you, you potato ruiner, I said on my way out. Mashed potatoes from a box. That's what's wrong with this country, he writes. That and canned biscuits, soybean anything, frozen french fries fake flowers, and tanning salons. What's real anymore? And church, I think that's a great question to ask ourselves uh, as Christians, as a church. What's real anymore? And we look at the world around us and we see a lot of artificial. We see fantasy offered up without commitment. We see the need, the rising need for being authentic. Uh, we see people pursuing entertainment, which is a poor substitution for the pure joy that Jesus has to offer. And even when it comes to the church's mission, I really we've seen an identity crisis in 21st century North American church. So what is real for us anymore? And I could ask this question as well. What 
truly works. We have some churches still today that are fighting for tradition. And I'm watching them, and you are as well, uh, battles within the church for religion. And I'm not even talking about heresy that's entered into the church. We've dealt a lot with that. And either, even others in churches are just doing things for good intentions. And when, when all of these things collide with the mission, we have to return and look back at what Christ told us to do. The primary thing He told us to do. The Great Commission. We must be reminded what Jesus has launched the church into the world to do. So again, Matthew chapter 28, we're looking at the words of Jesus. I'm coming in at verse 16, and I want you to look here that they worshipped Jesus. And even still, some doubted. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. Why is there eleven? Because one, Judas, the betrayer, has committed suicide at this time, and there's eleven now. They went to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But even so, some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, the great promise of God, I am with you to the end of the age. Now, why am I sharing this this morning? I have a lot to share, a lot of issues to deal with. But I want to remind you, I read years ago that most Christians have never even heard the Great Commission. So if you've never heard it up to this point, you're hearing it now, and I think it's a great thing for us to hear as God's people together today. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for a wonderful service just to celebrate what you are already doing. We thank you that we can come and worship you. Lord, we still continue to thank you for those who you have led to be willing to go and protect the innocent. Lord, to provide freedom, to move and stop evil in the world. And Lord, I pray today that we hear clear from heaven that we are reminded not to get mixed up in all the things that the world has to offer, but return to your great commission. Lord, your greatest commandment to love you with all, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to go and make disciples. Lord, that we are to be actively teaching people about Jesus. And I pray that we embody this, that it's not just the church here. But we as individuals are missionaries as we go out into the world. Lord, that people see Jesus in us. It's not that we are just inviting people to this kind of a religion, but that people see a relationship with you in us. That they see what is real when the world offers what is not real. We love you today. Bless your words as they go forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, church, since Resurrection Sunday, we've spoken about a lot of serious issues. And I, I was looking back over some of the sermons, and the ones I put in the most time in are viewed the less online. And the, but one of the highest viewed sermons lately was the one we did after Resurrection, when we did on the Shroud of Turin. I was like, man, that must be pretty cool. So maybe we need to get some fun stuff in here like that again. But today, we really need to deal with the Great Commission. And the reminder is is that Christianity is a totalizing view of reality. What we believe affects everything. 
What we believe as Christians speaks into all areas of life. In fact, because of Christ's authority, it lays claim to it. It lays claim to all of these things. And as we speak clearly to these issues, we have to get Christianity right. I cannot invite someone to Christ if I'm really not living for Christ. And people know. People can observe and they can see hypocrisy. They know when it's not real. We have to get church right as well. Uh, And we have to um, know what we believe about Jesus Christ. And that's part of the reason we've been speaking to some of these issues. I want God's people. I couldn't speak to these things not too long ago. But as Christians, we have to speak to the things of Christ. And within the church, there are competing ideas. And the first thing I want you to see, when it comes to competing ideas, we have to see first that Jesus is the authority. And if you don't know this, I always try to encourage the Christian calendar. Um, And I'm thankful if you work for the government and you get a three-day weekend or whatever that looks like. I'm glad for that. I love to remind people, though, that we are on the Christian calendar. That we are following Jesus Christ. And just because I have a day off that work provides, it doesn't mean I split and skip church. And I want to tell you why. Because this past Thursday, there's something that most of Christianity misses. It is Ascension Day. That Jesus Christ didn't just die on the cross for the sins of the world. He didn't just rise again to give you eternal life. He has ascended in heaven. And He sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and is waiting to come again to judge the living and the dead. And He is still working on your behalf right now. What is He doing? He ever makes intercession for the saints. When you pray to the Father, Jesus Christ is making intercession for you right now. When you are lured away into sin and Satan goes to God to condemn you as an accuser, He forever accuses the saints. Jesus Christ steps in as your advocate. He advocates for the children of God. And He is judging us. This is a, a culture does not want to hear that. They say, it's Christians, they're so judgy. Have you met Jesus? <laughs> Jesus is the judge, by the way. And He judges the believers and he, we are to be disciplined by God. Here it is. This ascended Christ, the Son of God, has all authority. Jesus tells the disciples this. And Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Now, if you, if you go to college and you go to seminary, they want you to take Greek and you begin to learn Greek and you can do these study on Greek words and find out what they mean. And years ago, I was learning how to study and these concordances and you look up these Greek words and I was like, I want to know what this word all means in the Greek. So I looked it up. You know what it means? It means all. <laughs> all means all and that's all all means. <laughs> and Jesus means it here. All authority has been given to Him. Now Jesus is our Lord. He is the risen Savior. He has been risen from the grave. He conquered sin. He defeated sin. Anytime a believer lives in sin, they're just willingly putting themselves and becoming a slave of sin. We've been delivered from sin. He's overcome that and death that we may have eternal life. Church, Jesus Christ is our King. All authority has been given to Jesus, our King. And I think oftentimes that people within the church, you've seen movements, you've seen these things happen, try to usurp authority from Jesus, and they make it about them 
and their mission. Now, when I'm speaking about this, I don't want you to think, oh, no, pastor's dealing with something. He's speaking about somebody in the church. That's not what's going on. What I'm speaking of is things in general. I've dealt with all kinds of crazy, chaotic things over the years, and I, I share them from time to time with you because we need to realize some of these things that take place and be on guard or watch ourselves from falling into these traps. But in some of the individuals in church can make the ministry about what they want, and they end up wanting control. And they're taking it away from Christ, who is the authority. And sometimes there is a push. This is the reality that there's a push to do things exactly how they were done in the past, or how they want things to be done. And before long, there's division, and nothing productive gets done. And if they had it their way, I saw this this morning, the timing was perfect. I have a pastor friend, uh, he's a professor at Wesley Biblical Seminary who planted a church years ago. And he said, churches need to be planting churches. We needed to be doing this decades ago, creating new campuses, new things, because God moves in new works. If a new person comes to a traditional church, everybody's trying to make them to do, do things the way it used to be. And he started talking about music and worship music. And I remember this specifically out of the, you know, the handful of churches I've served in. Only two um, bickered from time to time about music. And even brought it up in the interview process. And I remember, I, I remember these things vividly because they say something about a church. So this professor posts this. He said, the, the greatest argument about contemporary Christian music is that it says, me, 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 my, 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 I, I, I. And he had someone come to him and say that. And he said, okay, let's do this. He turned to the Psalms and just read a random Psalm. Guess what David says? My, 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 my. I, 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 I. And it doesn't mean it's about him. It just means that that's the language. Lord, I'm going through this. I need you. You are my God. And so the arguments against these things, he's making a point that it's just traditional wanting to go backwards. You can't make a culture go backwards. You have to embrace what reality is in the present. A few years ago, we were, I think we'd been here maybe four or five months. God was moving and uh, we were so thankful because uh, people were returning to the church and new people were coming and we were excited and I loved to see the move of God. And all of a sudden, these two older ladies showed up and they sat in the back and they made the typical look you would expect. Now, I don't know who they are. I just remember what they did. And they started bickering with new people coming and standing around and whether or not changing things back to the way they were. With a big scowl on their face. And somebody in our church leaned over who heard them say that and said, it's about winning people to Jesus. What a great reminder I have a pastor friend who started a church in North Dakota. And uh, this, the district backed him, and he, it was funded, and, and this guy is awesome. And when he went to plant the church, he did a search because he needed people to play instruments. This is the search he did. Best bar band in Bismarck. He met with these guys and said, hey, this is what I want to do. I want to reach this culture that's very unchurched. Um, you come, you play one of your songs, but then you got to play a couple of my songs. 
And they started coming, they're playing music, and they're playing rock songs and stuff like this. They're having these interest meetings. And in the process, this bar band, these guys get saved. It is awesome. This church is growing, and some people from the district, another church who had given to fund the mission, they decided to come, and they wanted to see this new work. These two old ladies. I don't know if it was the same one. Maybe they go, <laughs> or maybe they go around from the church to church. They stood up. I mean, they're just rocking out, playing some fun music, and they stood up and said, this is blasphemous. They wouldn't know what blasphemy was. They'd been away from God for so long, they'd forgotten what the mission was. These are things that we see we have to fight against in our own personality when these things happen. When tradition becomes more important than the mission, we have lost sight of the great commission of Jesus Christ. Now, when I talk about tradition, I want you to know there's two types of tradition. There's tradition of man, and there's the traditions of God. And Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us. And so there's the traditions that were passed down by Christianity, by the apostles. By the way, this new format cuts off the bottom to kind of help you guys a little bit. What verse could this be? And, and so you guys have to do some Bible studying and learn some things. But you, the things that are passed down... We are to hold firm to the traditions that were taught by the apostles, either by spoken word or by letter. And we have the letters here. These are traditions that are passed down that are from God. But when I talk about the bad traditions, I mean traditions that are basically about preferences. And there's even good traditions that even people have created. Like we, we celebrate Christmas. Uh, we celebrate the coming of the King. We, we celebrate Jesus Christ. We have fun with the imaginative. And every Christmas Eve, after Christmas Eve service, we have all these goodies at the house. We go home and we enjoy, everybody picks a goodie that they're going to make, and, and we're all sharing these things, and we love it. I love it. That is a good tradition. We're not giving up that tradition anytime soon. And there's traditions in church, like we have the Christmas holiday meal every year. Those are great traditions. But there are traditions that have been wrapped up in the heart of people that wants, makes them want to drift backwards and control the church. The guy that was bickering about music in the church, I typed under his thing from time to time. I'm very peaceable on Facebook, by the way. But from time to time, I engage people because I want to be kind and with grace and truth and share the truth of God. So I asked a few questions. When is the last time you shared the gospel with anybody? If you're so upset about music, let's, let's get down to the core issue. When is the last time you celebrated what God is doing in the present? Is it always what God used to do? And that says a lot. I also asked at the end, this one's funny because I have a little bit of this thing I add. When is the last time you smiled? People that complain and bicker and try to control things, this is what they do most of the time. Does that look Christian? That doesn't even look Christian. You know, even though God is working on the inside, you're not always going to smile. It's just like, we don't want that type of stuff. And I also asked, if you used your methods and went and planted a church, would anyone come? That says everything for us. The first Christians were Jews. Did you know that? Jews had a lot of traditions. They had 600, if I remember correctly, 613 precepts that they were to keep Daily. 
It was the law. It was what they were to keep to be righteous and holy. A lot of traditions. By the time Jesus walked onto the scenes of Jerusalem proclaiming that the kingdom was at hand, guess what? In the book of John, it's recorded three times. The Passover, which in the Old Testament was called the Passover or the Lord's Passover, by the time you come to the New Testament, they are calling it the Passover of the Jews. It had become more about the tradition and the religion. The first Christians had to make a lot of serious changes in what they believe and understood about God. There was a transition of the Sabbath day. Out of the Ten Commandments in church history, Sabbath shifted. What did it shift to? It shifted to the Lord's day. The new Christians didn't celebrate Sabbath the way it was celebrated in the past. They worshipped the risen Savior, Jesus. Dietary laws would change. The things that they were not supposed to eat, they were going to be allowed to eat. Grace took the place of keeping the law. That you're saved by grace. We keep the rules because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Keeping the rules does not save us. And the gospel gets preached to the Roman culture, to the Gentiles. What did they eat? Most of the soldiers in the Roman Empire ate pork, salted pork. Now, if you had to have a dietary law and all of a sudden this is the only food that you have, it's going to be very difficult to worship this risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And Roman soldiers worked every day. And even Peter wrestled with this, the Apostle Peter. And Jesus gives him a vision in the book of Acts. And he tells him, he sees this big white sheet and and he sees all these animals. And Jesus tells Peter clearly to rise, to kill, and eat. That you could eat any animal now. And what does Peter do in his typical Peter logic? He says, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. I can't do that. And the Lord tells Peter, you do not call what is clean unclean. I am making it clean. The reason he did that is so they would preach the gospel to the Gentiles and have fellowship with them and eat the same meals. And you can imagine these these Jews going out preaching the gospel. They're going into Gentile cultures, Roman cities, and they start this smell. They smell something from a distance. Man, that smells delicious. They get in there, frying pork chops and bacon, and they ask, like, what is that? That's pork chops. What is a pork chop? What is bacon? We're going to tell you. And they said, no, we don't eat that. Then they would have never eaten with them. And Jesus told Peter, arise, kill and eat. These things are now clean. Go and fellowship. Build relationships with the Gentiles. And after that, Peter is obedient. He shares the gospel. There's a Roman centurion that Jesus was giving him a vision about, Cornelius, and Cornelius gets saved. The door opens wide for the Gentiles to start receiving the gospel, and the gospel is just spreading across the Roman Empire. You actually see a shift from Jerusalem in the book of Acts to the rest of the world, to the Gentiles. A shift from Peter and actually to Paul. Now, how do I change from tradition to mission? Before I get into these... I want you to know that we all wrestle with these things. In church and following Jesus Christ, people drift. A vision leaks. People gravitate to the past. People gravitate to comfortable. And that's what we we need to remind remind ourselves. Am I doing this because it's comfortable? Am I doing what God has called me to do? My brother shared a medical article with me a few years ago 
we're talking about change management, trying to fulfill the mission in the church. He says, Derek, you need to read this medical art article, and I'm reading it, and it's like, most people, the article, the title is, most people would rather die than listen to medical advice. And so I'm reading the article, and I realize that people, they have been doing a survey of people that would come in, they're told they have cancer, heart disease, high cholesterol, all these things. And the doctor said, this is what you need to do to live. You need to change your lifestyle. You need to change your diet. What they found out is most people, they're told this horrible news. It breaks their heart. They go and continue to eat the same, and their lifestyle is the same. The same thing applies for church. That some people would rather a church die than even change a little, the littlest thing. We've seen this happen time and time again. I've been tracking these things, and it's the reality. It is human nature to not want to change. So how do I do it? And here's a few things I want to share with you. One, review your life. Are you being used by God in the present? Was it something that was only in the past? Or are you still obedient and used of Christ in the present? Ask yourself, when is the last time I've told someone about Jesus? When you start to think about that, you realize... You know, I argue or I want things from the past and I'm not even being obedient to Jesus Christ in the present. Three, recognize that some things were just technological changes. You know, one of the big arguments in church was, why are we looking at screens? We're supposed to have a hymnal. I've had to tell people, 95 plus percent of the church does not care about the book stuffed in the pew or the chair. We're in a culture that uses screens. It is a shift. You can like the hymn if you want to. And I'm all for if you want to sing old hymns. If you love those, love them. But if people... Here it is in the 21st century, 22 years in. And there's still an argument for an old book when most of society, even you, are using a screen. And realize it's a technology shift. It's not that screens have demons in them or anything. They're not bad. You can use them for, for good. Four, know that nostalgia is dangerous. I've, I had, I, we met a young lady at a store here in town. We're purchasing some vitamins. And she's telling us about this church she used to be a part of and the town that she's from. And I was like, oh yeah, she brought up the conversation, so I'm going to have the conversation because I'm a pastor. I was like, are you looking for a church? No, I just, I just love my old church so much. I can't go anywhere else. There's this nostalgia that I'm so used to the way they used to do it then that I can't enjoy Jesus Christ in the present. Uh, number five, return to the Great Commission. Remind yourself, what is this about? Are you being led of the Holy Spirit? Are you being obedient to Jesus Christ? Six, celebrate the new things God is doing. God is teaching young people in our church about Him. They're learning about Jesus Christ. We celebrate what God is doing in the present. And we should give to those things. The second thing I want you to see today, church, is that we are called to go and make disciples. Um, this is all-inclusive. This is not just somebody who's called to be a pastor. This is everybody that everybody is a missionary, every Christian is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is the core, uh, the DNA of the church is the Great Commission. Again, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Church, we have to get back to sharing the good news and making disciples. We re you really need to do that. 
You need to tell people about the Jesus that has saved you. That is the gospel. We share that with people on a regular basis. And I do not mean um, just doing a bunch of stuff that gathers a bunch of people and we spend a bunch of money and no one ever becomes a Christian. Those are good intentions in the church. And and there's ministers that I love and they're doing all kinds of activities in uh, the community and we want to be doing some activities in the community more. I want stuff that's actually fruitful. And I've watched where people who say, we had 2,000 people come to the Easter egg hunt on Easter weekend. And I always want to ask, how many people actually started coming to your church and became a disciple? And it's typically this. It's just a fun community event. It's not productive. If you, if you want to do that, that's fun. Uh, but we spend a lot of time and effort in things that are not always productive. What I mean is to go and do literally what works. And do you want to know what works? Not everything through Christianity throughout history works the same in the next generation. There's times where things were moving. It used to be that evangelists would come and thousands would get saved, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to always work that way. But this is what is real. I want to share this with you. This is what has always worked. Again, share the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. It is good news. The gospel means good news. It is good news because there's bad news. The world is in sin. You have friends and family members wrapped up in sin. It is a destructive life. We have the good news that Jesus died for our sins. He forgives our sins. He gives us His new life. And that is good news. And you share them. You share your testimony. I cannot answer every question about culture and religion and Christianity, but I can tell you that Jesus Christ has given me peace. I can tell you that He has saved me and I'm not the same person anymore. Three, give sacrificially to the mission. In the New Testament church, in the book of Acts, they're sharing the gospel. They're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul is always sharing his testimony of when he encountered Jesus. And people are literally giving large sums of money to the church. Uh, That is part of the mission. They were sacrificially getting rid of things, selling land, selling property to fund the mission. Uh, That is something like we don't want to talk about money. The highest values in Casper is what? Money and recreation. The problem is if it becomes your God, then you have all the recreation toys, but you don't give that money. You have to put that stuff in check. You have to be led of the Holy Spirit. What is God telling me to do? Last year when we opened the door, we were were trying to say, we need a children's pastor. We still need a children's pastor. I I have resumes coming through and we're working through those things. Continue to pray. And we said, we're going to do this campaign to raise money for a children's pastor. And people gave to something else on purpose to make a point and a contrast that they were not going to give to that thing. They were going to give to something else. Because they're called up in tradition. We need to be committed to the mission of Jesus Christ. Being committed and available. Are you saying yes when you're needed? Are you willing to give up your time? This weekend, I mean, it's a time where we want to rest. We want to relax. People want to be out. Some people are giving up their time to serve. Just think about those things. Is God using you? Is He speaking to you to serve in a way? Are you willing to be committed to this thing? We are here today because people gave up their time, their, their finances, whatever it is to fund the mission. Here again also, from the beginning, love your neighbor. Uh, help somebody. Let them see that this Christian thing is real.
We have a lot of issues going on in the church at any given moment. And guess what? People are giving toward those things. And we are thankful. Thank you for giving to those ongoing needs. Tithe to the church. Give offerings. Give above and beyond. Give sacrificially. Live out the gospel. Let people see that Jesus is real in your life. We live, you've heard me say this time and time again, in America it is easy to take the title Christian without the life. I don't know why people do that, but it's together. We take the name of Christ, Christian, and His life. Seven, invite people to a class. Invite. Be invite crazy. Start inviting people where so-and-so said no, but ask somebody else. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Keep inviting people to church. Did you know that the church in the U.S., after the Civil War, War, was keeping up with population growth. The population would grow, they'd plant another church. For every 450 new people, churches and denominations would get together and they would plant another church. And between that period, around 1890 through 1990, there was a shift. And they quit planting churches as much. They were trying to build up um, denominations became very individualized, which they used to support each other. And yeah, we'll help you plant these churches. And they wanted to build up the congregation they had. And what happens is it wasn't reaching the new people. New people need new. But even so, we want to be inviting people to the church. De- denominations, another thing that happened is that churches became afraid of new uh, they became jealous of new churches and new plants. Um, and, and I get some of this, what happens in church, why people grasp the old. Um, because our culture is moving so fast that we need some solidarity. And there's a little comfort when people can come to church if that is their safe place. And this is what's interesting. I've seen this in our, in our culture. I've seen older people pick on younger people and call them snowflakes. And I get some of that. You've seen that in the news. You know what that is, if you know what that is. And you heard about college students needing safe spaces. But guess who is teaching them to behave that way? I would say largely that a churches that have behaved that way, that this is our protection zone. Everything else in the world is bad. We can't change in here. We have to protect this area. This is my safe space We're not going to change anything. We've taught young people to behave the same way. And here's the deal. A fearful church will not reach the lost. Paul told Timothy this in 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. That we have the power of the Holy Spirit to go and reach the lost. The last thing I want you to see, church is that we're to teach them. A large portion of church is teaching young people, is teaching everybody, discipling them. They believe they've been baptized. Now we have to educate them into the things of Jesus. It tells us here, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That we're to teach all, not partial. Not this thing where we're, the, the world is evil. We can't have anything to do with those people. And I want you to know that that fear has affected us so much that young people and a, large, a huge generation has not been able to speak about Christianity. We need to teach people how to speak about what we believe. 
that we engage people in conversation. No, 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 I, I hear what you're saying, but that is not what we believe as Christians. This is the Christian worldview. I read a survey this past week. Like my heart sank when I read it, and I was like, well, I can believe it. Um, I read a survey that only 37% of pastors that took the survey have a biblical worldview. That's pastors. Now, across the board, I don't know what denominations or, or who they actually ask, but I'm like, wow, only 37%. That means the churches that they're pastoring are not teaching a biblical worldview. And so we have to step up our game and encourage good Christian education. I encourage going to a Bible college. Don't wait. Learn about Jesus. Say, you know what? And answer a call. I believe in Christ and I want to serve Him. I want to learn more about Him. Parents and grandparents, the best way to lead your children and grandchildren to Jesus is by making Jesus a priority. Living that out that they can see that. And when you invite people to Christ, you're inviting them to the church and the community of faith. When you invite people to the community of faith, you're ultimately inviting them to Christ, and that's what we need to be doing. And church, the question again at the, the end here is, what, what's real anymore? In the gospel and what we believe as Christians is what's real. And we have to offer that. I have one last thing I want to share as we close. A few years ago, I shared a big portion of our testimony. Um, I think it's 19 years ago this month, I preached my first sermon. And uh, on the left, this is this little shack in Franklin County that a pastor who answered the call late in life turned into a Bible study that became a church. And we said yes to Jesus Christ. In 2003, Christ radically changed my life. God began to move, and we're, we're, we're there every time the doors are open. I'm absorbing the Word of God. Um, I, I've shared this for time and time again. When we were there, we were the children's ministers uh, because we brought all the children. They were ours, four of them. <laughs> Jessica would go into service, and I would watch our kids, and we would rotate. You know, it's how we did it. We didn't care. We just wanted Jesus and all of this. You know, looking back, I've seen that this church was growing fast. They built a new building. It's huge. It's wonderful. Um, but this is what changed everything. That I had a coworker who answered the call late in life walk over to me at the post office, invite me to a Bible study. And he kept inviting me. He started inviting me in 2002. Yeah, they used to meet in something that was called the Fox Pen. It was a hunt club in North Carolina. And the Fox Pen, then they ended up meeting in this, this place here. Um, and it be, this Bible study, and I said yes, January 1st, 2003, but it took a year of inviting me. And I look back, and I'm like, wow. You know what? I was saying no. You know, I was wrestling with those things, but I finally said yes. And looking back, I know if that God can do that with me, He can do that with someone else that you know. A coworker, a family member, friend, keep inviting them to Jesus Christ. We have to return to the Great Commission. Let's close in prayer. God in heaven, we thank you for this sacred moment in time. Lord, we thank you again for men and women who have said yes to this high call to um, be willing to protect people, to be the ones that are willing to run into the line of fire, those who have moved against evil in the world. 
We also thank you for those who have said yes to the high calling of ministry. Lord, we thank you for the way you're moving in our church. And we pray that you make more young people sensitive to saying yes to you, to serving you. Lord, we're starting to see some of that, and we thank you for that. We pray that more say yes to serving, that you are the high priority. All authority has been given to you in heaven and on earth. And I pray that we just become just utter worshipers of you, that our community sees you in our life. And though they may see the mistakes that we make and the wrong that we can apologize, and we know that you are the God who forgives, the God who restores, this is the good news that we offer our culture. We pray for a moving of your Holy Spirit. We pray for the infilling of your Spirit in your people, that we are made fresh and new in our relationship with you. And Lord, that we have new testimonies. It's not just about what you've done in my life back in 2003. But you moved in 2004 and 5 and 6 and now you continue to move in our lives. And Lord, we pray that more come to believe in you. That we continue to grow for your honor and for your glory. That many are saved and rescued from a, a destiny away from you. That they're restored to a relationship with you. That they are saved to the uttermost. We love you today. We bless your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. If you would stand with me as we close. Church, we still have a mission, amen? We have to return to the Great Commission. Let's give God glory today because He saves, He still saves, amen? The reminder as you go, someone invited you to church. You have to remind someone else or invite someone this week. Someone invited you, you invite them. That's your homework. You need to pass the test, amen? Test is next Sunday. See you then. God bless you. Go in peace.